Okay, everyone, UFC 280 is this weekend, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Islam Mahachev versus Charles Oliveira is one of the most intriguing clashes of martial arts styles we've ever seen. And you know what? That got me thinking. Hey, Balian, why don't you make a list about the most interesting, anticipated, and hyped clashes throughout MMA history? I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and these are the 10 most interesting style matchups in MMA history. Number 10, Damian Meyer versus Gunnar Nelson. Don't know if you were around when old Gunny Nelson was on the rise, but people looked to him like the second coming of Mr. Miyagi, except obviously much younger, better at flash dances, rear naked chokes, and best friends with Conor McGregor, who was also from Iceland, which, let's face it, might as well be Narnia to most MMA fans. As well as being a Goju Ryu karate master, he came strapped with a black belt under Henzo Gracie and sunk four submissions in his first six UFC fights. And in December 2015, we all got the Christmas present of Gunnar Nelson versus Damian Meyer. Meyer, of course, is one of the most decorated, tested, and long-standing submission in the UFC and at this point was in the midst of a three-fight win streak blazing a trail towards the welterweight title. Fans were salivating at this matchup. Gunnar surely a future star, possible future champ and one of the most entertaining and efficient grapplers in the promotion taking on this legendary Brazilian black belt who'd been making members of the UFC roster tap for the last eight years. I mean people joked that they should just start the fight on their knees. It also slotted nicely on the main card of one of the biggest events of all time UFC 194, that's Conor vs Aldo so yeah basically everyone was really hyped, especially all the EU fans. Ultimately, Maya was actually levels ahead of Gunnar on the ground, but hey, it was still a badass matchup. Number 9, Israel Adesanya versus Paolo Costa. This matchup of 185 strikers came at the perfect time. There were still people not fully convinced of just how good Israel Adesanya was, and Paulo Costa was still this undefeated marauder that had barely taken a step back in his UFC career. It was a turn of the millennium Wolfgang Peterson film, a perfect storm. I mean, let's face it, we'd seen Izzy slay some of the best middleweights in the world. He was still undefeated at this point, and regardless if you were ready to drink the Adesanya Kool-Aid, he was one of the most creative and accurate strikers we'd basically ever seen but he was coming off his first somewhat lackluster performance against Yoel Romero, whereas Costa had charged at the Cuban Iron Man and threw more punches than a pissed off Jackie Chan. There was also just this big portion of the fan base that looked at Costa, the eraser, Conan the Barbarian, and just went, well, obviously that dude is gonna smash through the last airbender anime guy. As far as the numbers released for pay-per-view sales, UFC 253 sold 700,000, which is the second highest Izzy has ever sold, just shy of 259, by the way, which had three title fights on it. Safe to say, people were flipping been interested in this pretty unique clash of styles. Obviously, the fight wasn't close at all and went nothing like most predicted, but for the six minutes that it lasted and that one slice of pizza you got to eat, yeah, we were pretty entertained. Number eight, Anderson Silva versus Dan Henderson. Right, so after the Pride FC promotion ended, the UFC did this pretty cool thing where they had the champions from Pride come over into the UFC and fight the current champs. This was a huge deal if you were a Pride fan, because for ages you've been telling all your UFC mates that Pride was better, had cooler rules, and had a roster of fighters that sounded like they belonged in Tekken. It just so happened as well that in 2007, when Pride was officially purchased, Dan Henderson was the 185 and the 205 champion. So I say champions came over, but it was just him, basically. First off, he got a shot at Rampage Jackson to unify the title, which unfortunately Unfortunately, wasn't the most entertaining fight. Dan couldn't get it done, and right after that, Hendo was off to 185 to challenge the unbelievably dominant Anderson Silva, who at this point had just finished five straight UFC opponents in less than 17 minutes. And not gonna lie, it was pretty good pride was coming over because he was kind of running out of people to fight. Still, the hype for this one was big, mainly because of Dan's Olympic wrestling credentials. He'd represented the US in Greco-Roman in 1992 and 1996. Anderson had decimated everyone on the feet, but the last person to get him down was Travis Luter, and he had managed 
managed to control Anderson and give him some problems. Dan's Greco could nullify that deadly tycling. She had the power to contend on the feet. You had all these fans talking about how Dan was Spider-Man kryptonite. Compared to Anderson's other opponents, he kind of was. He even said it himself. I think style-wise, I'm a bad matchup for, for almost anybody I fight, but especially... You know, a striker that, that's shown some weaknesses on the ground with uh, getting submitted in the past. The first round was pretty cool and Dan got Andy down, but eventually Silver found his back and choked him out. Number seven, Hamzat Chemaev versus Gilbert Burns. For some of you newer fans who maybe weren't around to witness some of these fights firsthand, I want you to remember the heart palpitations and the rock-hard emotions you had as they finally closed the cage on Hamzat versus Gilbert and apply that level of anticipation to every fight on this list. Obviously, at the time of UFC 273, we'd seen Bors take literally two significant strikes in his whole octagon career. He was just Achillesing people. He'd barely broken a sweat and people were ready to give him a title shot. It was an amalgamation of his elite grappling and the mystery of just exactly how good he was was or how good he could be. So when you match that up against one of the most tested and dangerous men in the division, well, how could we not be intrigued? An extra layer of icing on this already delicious cake was that Gil had won gold in 2011 at the most prestigious BJJ championships in the world and had only lost one out of his last eight UFC fights. You wanted to test, you got it. It was freestyle wrestling versus BJJ. What's not to like? The fight itself, though, turned into Call of Duty Warzone, pretty much, and we saw Hamzat's wrestling nullified by Gilbert. I mean, he certainly was hesitant to engage on the ground. Either way, a cracking fight from both men lived up to the hype and then some. Number six, Charles Oliveira versus Islam Mahachev. So, unless you've been living under Hamzat Chemaev's beard, you'll know that this fight has basically got all MMA fans going back and forth on what exactly the hell is going to happen when these two meet inside the octagon. It's like when Jon Snow finally face off against the Night King, except, oh wait, no, that never happened! What we got here is two of the best grapplers to ever exist at 155. Charles has relentlessly tortured the UFC roster for the last 12 years, where he's picked up 19 finishes, the most in UFC history, and 16 submissions, also the most in UFC history. On the other side of the pitch, though, you've got Islam, who spent a life time training along the very man that many call the greatest lightweight of all time, Habib Namagamadov. And although they have not been very high ranked, Islam's ground game has made mincemeat of his last few UFC opponents. This is a clash of styles we've seen many times throughout the history of MMA, Sambo vs BJJ, the top pressure, takedowns and crushing presence of Islam versus the power, technicality and creativity of Oliveira. Maybe we'll see this one play out entirely on the feet, as is so often happens with two great grapplers, and many have suggested Islam isn't ready for this level of competition, he's only beaten one guy in the top 10. But I mean, man oh man, we've already seen what Charles has done to the top five as well. Whatever your take, you can't deny seeing these two masters of their craft crash into each other is well worth opening the proper 12. Number five, Junior Dos Santos versus Cain Velasquez. So to celebrate the debut of the UFC on Fox, they arranged a fight of equal magnitude to headline the first event on the new network. The possible greatest heavyweight ever in Cain Velasquez and the new contender that had risen through the rankings, Brazilian boxer Junior Dos Santos. And what an interesting matchup it was. Aside from the fact that a heavyweight one punch or one takedown can lead to the end of the fight, these two were both extremely dominant and both had completely different styles. Cain had just tore through everyone with his pace, wrestling and ground and pound, it's like he'd put his career mode on the easiest difficulty or something. Whereas JDS had seemingly come out of nowhere, beaten every single UFC opponent he'd faced, finished five of them, and showed the kind of boxing skills and athleticism you just don't get from your everyday lumbering heavyweight. But some fans and media alluded to the fact that on the feet, JDS might be 
the better striker, and as easy as Kane had outstruck Brock, JDS might do that to him. And against his wrestling, I mean, JDS had certainly managed to stop Shane Carwin from controlling him in the last fight. Some people also thought Kane didn't move his head a lot. But for every way you saw JDS could win, you could also see Kane just taking him down and smashing him like everybody else. To make things more exciting, the heavyweight division had just seen the likes of Lesnar, Overeem, Carwin, Randy, and Big Nog, so the hype for the division was at an all-time high. The fight actually ended in just one minute via KO, but Kane had torn his ACL, so they ran it back a few times, and the result was pretty conclusive. Number four, Mirko Krokop versus Fedor Emelianenko. At the time, this fight was basically the equivalent of the MMA Super Bowl. The forums and media had been going back and forth for the better part of two years, really, discussing the ins and outs of what seemed like an impossible fight to predict. It was K1 kickboxing versus Sambo. Mirko Krokop, probably the most athletic and devastating heavyweight finisher on the planet, was up against the undefeated champ Fedor, who'd pulled off some superhuman feats inside the Japanese ringed canvas. We'd already seen Fedor beat the likes of wrestlers like Kevin Rounderman, BJJ gods like Noguera, but he'd never faced a striker truly as destructive as Krokop. If you'd caught any of the pride shows with the Croatian, all you could do was watch as he'd finish six opponents en route to Fedor, the last of them being his teammate Ibrahim Magomedov, where all Fedor could do was watch ringside as Krokop rearranged his bowels. Then a particularly smiley Fedor made his way to the ring with the pride heavyweight title and the two men locked arms. The fight of the decade was finally here. Mirko was deadly on the feet. Question was, could Fedor survive the head kicks and punches? punishment long enough to get him down or tag him with something unexpected. Regardless of how you thought it was going to play out, without a doubt, this was the two best heavyweights in the world dueling it out. The fight lived up to all expectations with both men showing their best. Mirko landed some big shots, but Fedor got him to the ground and after 20 minutes, the last emperor still had his crown. Number three, Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou won. By 2018, there had been a lot of heavyweight champions in the UFC. Different eras, different abilities, and who was the best of all time? Well, while that was still up for discussion, for some people it was already Stipe Miocic. He was tied for the most defenses, and we'd seen him beat every heavyweight of his era. But over the last two years, we'd seen the incredible rise of Francis Ngannou, who had appeared out of nowhere and began laying siege to the heavyweight division. He possessed an otherworldly kind of power, but how did that match up against the slick footwork and boxing of Stipe and his takedown ability? Well, after his two year campaign, Francis was finally getting a shot at Stipe, but what was going to happen? Well, holy shit, no one had any idea. Yes, of course, Miocic had dealt with heavy-handed sluggers before. We'd seen him take down and control people like Mark Hunt, completely nullify them, but we'd also seen Francis shake off takedown attempts like a supervillain. And when it came to delivering his own punishment, yeah one punch and this might be over. People debated this one until the cage doors closed. Turns out though Francis was as dangerous as we all thought he was, but Stipe was just the better man on the night. He dragged him into deep waters and drowned him. Although in the rematch we saw a completely different Ngannou finish Stipe in the second round, and I'm sure a trilogy fight would be pretty big as well. Number two, Hoist Gracie versus Sakuraba. Do you know how Sakuraba became the biggest star in Japan? After submitting a bunch of high-level guys in the early days of Pride, he was matched up with Hoyler Gracie. On the other side of the world, the Gracies had been running the game, and he handed the family their first professional loss in decades of competition when he Kimura'd Hoyler. That made him the most famous man in combat sports in Japan. Somehow this man from the world of catch wrestling had been able to beat a long-standing member of the most prolific grappling family on the planet. He next challenged Hits and Gracie, but it was the younger brother Hoist who stepped up, which was a huge deal because at this point, 
He was the UFC 1, 2 and 4 champion, 11-0, the best the UFC had to offer versus the best Japan had to offer. Both men entered the 2000 Grand Prix tournament, both got through their opening round in January, so in May it was announced we'd see the ultimate showdown, fueled by family pride. Sakuraba was an astonishingly good grappler, and he almost seemed to make techniques up on the spot with a flair for the dramatic, matched against the precision of another Gracie Jiu-Jitsu master, a much more tested one at that, who knew what was going to happen? And this wasn't going to be a normal fight either, it was requested the fight have no time limits, no referee stoppages, only a KO or a submission would suffice. Yeah, the fan base got pretty hyped up for that part. Ultimately, they battled back and forth for an hour and a half in one of the most grueling fights ever caught on camera, and it was Hoist's brother Horium that eventually threw in the towel after six rounds of blood, sweat and geese. Number 1. Fedor Emelianenko versus Big Nog During the course of the ring's 1999 King of Kings tournament, it became clear that Big Nog was a future MMA champion, and after he lost a split decision to Dan Henderson in the final, he put together a 14-fight unbeaten streak that saw him win the Rings 2000 tournament and capture the inaugural Pride heavyweight title, where he became a complete superstar. He was submitting all the heavyweight talent coming over from other promotions, took on ridiculous challengers like Bob Sapp, and even rematched Hendo and submitted him in December 2002. Now, I've already mentioned how anticipated Fedor vs. Krokop was, but that fight wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for Fedor versus Nogueira. By the time Pride 25 came around, Nog was 19-1 with a deadly guard game and a Terminator-like ability to pull victory from the jaws of defeat. Many called him the best fighter on the planet. But a young, hungry Fedor had decimated the ring's world title series and after blowing through Heath Herring at Pride 23 was the new hotness. He'd also demonstrated sickening ground and pound, which paralleled fantastically against Nog's guard game. It was the danger zone for both men and yet possibly the best chance for both guys to win the fight. That combined with Fedor's own submission ability that could possibly nullify the Brazilian's attacks, mate, we had a fight on our hands. And what was about to happen? Your guess was as good as mine. What actually happened? Fedor got right in Nog's guard, sat there and blasted him, and Nogueira just kept eating it and throwing up submissions. It was as epic as predicted. Fedor won the decision, became the new champion, and dominated everyone for the next seven years. You know who has got an interesting style? Luke Taylor. Yeah, he edited this video and he dresses like he shops at Baby Cap. You should tell him. If you want to see more of his stuff or show support though, you can check him out on social media at cool to me underscore. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. Help me, Ben Rosette. You're my only hope to enjoy the start of an MMA on point video with your intro tune. Thanks as always, buddy. If you like indie lo-fi beats, check out his stuff on Spotify at Ben Rosette. Who's going to win then, Islam or Oliveira? Let us know in the comments down below. Don't forget to subscribe if you like our videos and you want to see more. And give us a thumbs up. It's good karma. I've been Bailey and here's my social medias. Come catch me on Twitch if you get bored.